Introducing the Two-Way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the Two-Way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the Two-Way for yourself at newbalance.com. Paramount Plus and the National Park Foundation present A Mountain of Zen. This Earth Week, you can live stream seven national parks for seven days on Paramount Plus. Paramount Plus, official streaming partner of the National Park Foundation. What's gonna happen tonight? What's gonna happen? We're gonna whoop their What's up, y'all? Welcome on into the Go Vols 24-7 podcast. West Rucker coming to you from Fort Rucker Studio here on a chilly Monday morning here in God's Own Knoxville, Tennessee. How are you doing? I hope you're well. I hope everything in your life is going the way you want it to go. I hope your heart rate has calmed down from what was a an exciting Tennessee basketball game uh, on Saturday night, late Saturday night, for those of you who were able to stay up and finish it, which I imagine most of you were since it was a weekend night, but... Don't want to assume anything. I know some people got to get a work start early, so you never know. But I hope that once you saw that score, once you saw that game, that that brightened your weekend and that gave you a a good bump uh, to start the week. We got a lot to talk about on this edition of the Go Balls 24-7 podcast. First segment's going to be me and the guy that I'm getting ready to go get to right now, the one and the only Ben McKee down there at his uh, home studio. Ben, you're going to be on in the second segment also with Ryan Callahan talking a little recruiting, talking a little senior bowl, some other stuff. Um, But we're going to talk hoops here in this first segment. How you doing, man? I'm doing well. Recovered from our late night in Lexington, um, but it, it was it was a good one for the Vols. That that was a much needed win for them after the way they lost to South Carolina earlier in the week on their home court. I'm glad to know you're still recovered from it. I might need another day or so. That that whole 8:30 tip starts our day. Uh, it just it, it it puts a day in a weird spot, you know. And then like you get up the next morning, you go back home, and you're a younger man than I am, and you know it. Uh, I'm glad you're already recovered. I'm probably about a day away from that um, because that's just even. I always drive back, even if it's like a 7 p.m. tip there in Lexington. But with 8:30, it's like okay, this is just silly. This is just silly. Uh, and the game didn't even end till 11 because what a game it was, Ben. Uh, that that was. Some uh, that was something else, man. Tennessee wins one hundred three to ninety two. That is a, a regulation score, not an overtime score. Uh, Tennessee, after playing in low possession games, uh, or what what a lot of people in basketball call low possession games against slower tempo teams like Vanderbilt and South Carolina, uh, played one of the thoroughbreds of the sport. Pun intended. They, they go like, fast. Kentucky goes and goes and goes and tends to play in these kinds of games. Um, but Tennessee getting only 16 points from Dalton Connect and 87 points from everybody else. And I said uh, 87 points from the non-connects in a 40-minute game. That Even if the defense isn't great, Ben, that's a good sign for Tennessee. 1,000%. Yeah, I mean, you, you and I both said during our full-court press after the game that if, if you would have told us that Dalton was going to give you what he gave them, 
uh, which wasn't the complete don't connect the experience. 16 points, 5 of 14, 1 of 5 from 3. Uh, and, and honestly, it hasn't been talked about because Tennessee won. Rick Barnes benched him there for a couple of minutes towards the end of the game. Uh, Rick Barnes called a timeout, and not the timeout before halftime, but he called a separate timeout, which he rarely does. Uh, that, that's been one of Tennessee fans' biggest critiques of Rick is is how sometimes he just does not call timeouts. And when Kentucky was making its its last little push, um, Dalton took a, a questionable shot. I won't call it a bad shot because it was, it was a mid-range jumper off of a curl, off of a screen, I believe. And um, it was highly contested, uh, but it's Dalton Connect shooting that shot, and, and you, you can live with that. Uh, but if, if somebody else on your team takes it, you, you're probably not too pleased with them taking that highly of a contested shot. And then he got lost on the other end defensively. I believe it was Dillingham just kind of blew – past Dalton and, and that is a tough matchup but I, I think Dalton was was a little shook from from getting rejected early in the game and not getting some some foul calls throughout the game after that block and um, I, I'm not going to say that Dalton was not playing with effort because that's not Dalton's MO but it wasn't the defensive intensity defending Dillingham after the questionable shot that Rick Rick prefers or his teammates were playing with and and then allowed Dillingham to to get to the rim with with relative ease and and they, their post guy whoever was in the paint at that moment did a great job of sealing off Tobe or Jonas and kind of also got in the way of Dalton so it wasn't like the most horrendous defensive play of all time but th there there could have been a little more energy there and Rick called a timeout Dalton sat on the bench and Rick went with who he trusted, and that being Josiah Jordan-James, Santiago Vescovi, Zakai Ziegler, and uh, I believe Kentucky had cut it to to eight or nine points at that point, and they came back out and uh, got got some big-time buckets. Josiah had a big-time bucket. Jemai Meshack had an offensive rebound and, and put back, and that kind of put the game away. And, and, and Dalton did come back in, come back in at the very end, um, but if you would have told me that would take place, Dalton only gives you 16, and uh, Rick decides to take him out a little bit there at, at the end when when Kentucky's making its last push. I, I would have told you that Tennessee's probably losing that basketball game. Yeah, I, I think you know I I, I don't want to excuse anything Tennessee did defensively. You know, in that game, I, I don't I don't want to act like that this makes it okay. But Kentucky has a way of dictating the tempo in a game with the the tempo and and the way they play. What I mean by that is they go so fast offensively and take some bad shots. Uh they they just do. Now they got some players who can make them and they do make them, but what that does is it is really hard. That's like you know, going, trying to avoid stinky bait when you're fishing or something like if you're, you know what I mean? Like it's hard to not take that bait and play that fast and put up those shots because, you know, kind of styles can make fights and the way Kentucky plays, it makes you play fast. It makes you take shots because it just puts you in a rhythm of a game. And I think connect was like in his mind at times was like, Oh, okay, this is fun. Game on. Let's do this. Took a couple shots, maybe that you sh you shouldn't take. Um, 
he can take them because he can take any shot and make it. But there were a couple times there where I thought maybe discretion should have been the better part of valor. But, you know, when you see Dillingham putting up some of the shots that he's putting up, and they're just bad shots, but they're going in because he's really good. And it can they can sucker you into playing like that. Like, there's a reason why most Kentucky games end with the score in the ballpark of what happened in that Tennessee game. Now, Tennessee's a little better than most, so it scored more points in regulation than, than the others. But that's kind of the tempo in the way Kentucky plays games. And there were times where Kentucky would make a run and Barnes would get him to slow it down or make a substitution just to kind of get things resorted a little bit, which made sense to me. I think they were good time. It was a good timeout. But um, I think, to me, more than anything, Ben, in that game, what was good, yes, a couple times Rick did take Connect out of the game. But I thought as much as anything, Connect didn't force things most of the time because he didn't have to. Because the other guys were going to play with him. The other guys were like, okay, we're going to score too. Let's play some basketball here. And he didn't have to take as many contested shots because the other guys were taking and making. 1,000%. There's so many storylines that that came out of that basketball game on Saturday night. Uh, And to to me, it it starts with Zakai Ziegler just leading the way. Uh, Josiah Jordan-James had a career night and was just absolutely phenomenal. And and we need to talk about him next. But I hate to put him on the back burner. But I, I think Zakai Ziegler's leadership and change in demeanor is what set the tone for the team going into the game. And and not just Zakai, the the team as a whole, the program was on edge in a good way coming out of that loss to South Carolina on Tuesday night uh, in in its home building. It, it was an ugly loss. They were very frustrated by it. And uh, I, I really, and this is one of the many things to appreciate about Rick Barnes and, and his program, his culture, instead of sitting around pouting about it or, or pointing fingers, they came together. They came together as a group, hashed out their feelings, hashed out the mistakes, and got to work. And th- there was an edge to them between South Carolina and Kentucky. There, there was a fire amongst them, uh, and, and it starts at the top and worked its way down. It started with Rick Barnes telling Zakai Ziegler that I think you're the best point guard in the country. You've been great this year for the most part, but you need to change your demeanor and start leading this team, not being afraid to get on to guys, not saying that it's okay, it's okay when it's not okay. You, you, I can't be the only one getting on to guys. You need to do the same. And Zakai Ziegler said he took it on the chin, and took it as a as a sign of appreciation from Rick that Rick trusted him with that responsibility and said that that gave him a lot of confidence. And Zakai took it from the top and implemented that into his teammates. We were only there for Friday's practice, but Wednesday and Thursday and Friday, Zakai was was getting after guys and and not in a disrespectful way, not in an over the top way because his head coach gave him a, a longer leash and kind of instructed him to do that. Uh, but he, he just set the the tone and, and provided the leadership that is needed. Rick Barnes says it all the time. You hear it all the time in sports. The best teams are the ones that are player-led. And that's what this team was the last several days. And, and Zakai was, was the tip of the spear. Uh, but 
I heard Santiago Vescovi very vocal in practice on Friday, encouraging guys. I heard him say, Josiah, take that shot. We need you to take those shots. And Josiah started taking those shots in the game on Saturday night. Josiah was encouraging teammates. Um, you know, Dalton, Ganey, Meshack was very vocal in practice. Meshack was getting on to guys in the correct way. Uh, Zakai talked about how after the South Carolina loss, the team, just the players, it wasn't a players-only meeting, but they just kind of sat down and, and talked about what the issues were and, and what needed to be corrected. And, and there was a fire that, that was brewing, and that carried over uh, into that to that win. And, and I thought that it, it, not, it not only allowed Zakai to free himself uh, and really lead, but it allowed him to free himself as a player on the court as well. And I think because he was so focused on leading, that freed his game up. And he knocks down a three on that first possession of the game and then was just tremendous throughout the game. So uh, that that mindset flip I, I thought was really good. I don't even know if it was a flip, but just taking it to the next level, I guess, uh, really helped them. And, and you know, I, I vote – I shared that I had the opinion that I felt like they were cruising against some of those lesser brands, lesser teams that, that aren't as big of a brand as like a Kentucky. And I, I thought that that kind of proved to to be true um, because they, they turned it up a notch. And, and they had a reality check, but they learned from it, and they turned it up a notch. And it all started with Zakai Ziegler recognizing that, that he truly needed to grab the bull by the horns and lead this basketball team. And by doing that, I also think he freed himself up on the court. His leadership was phenomenal, and his play on the court was phenomenal as a result of that. Yeah, I agree with that. Um, I, I would add to it, but I, I absolutely do agree with that. I think that was the bottom line in, in many ways. But I'll, I'll say this. I couched some of the stuff that happened against South Carolina – by saying, listen, look at the stats. There are 362 teams in the country. That team plays at, I think, 353 in tempo. So it is by far the slowest tempo of any team in the country. It plays a slow uh, of power conferences. It plays slower than Houston. It plays slower than Virginia. South Carolina like walks the ball along on offense because that's the tempo it, it wants to play at because it shrinks the game because that's how that's how it competes and there's nothing wrong with that it's just me saying they kind of drag you into games like that they're good at that they're well coached they're well drilled and they can do that and they're physically tough and so I think that sort of brought things down a little bit uh, and to event against Vanderbilt to a certain extent too the, those games kind of dragged you into this now if I'm going to say that, I can't sit here and say everything is perfect after Saturday without mentioning that Kentucky's defense is uh, an abomination. It, it is Ben. I cannot think of the. I, I cannot think of a time that I've seen a team that is that athletic and that skilled and good offensively have that little effort defensively. Like, it does not play – like, a little bit – it'll try to, to steal the ball occasionally, and it will try to go block a shot occasionally because it's got some length on defense. But those guys do not fight through screens. They do not fight through traffic. Uh, they do not, a lot of times, hustle on that end of the floor. They're lazy on defense, and they leave you open shot after open shot. Their perimeter defense – I you get an open shot like four times out of five. It is bad. So I'm not going to sit here and say 
that, hey, guys, things aren't quite as bad as they seem in South Carolina without saying things may not be as perfect as they seem against Kentucky. I think we have to, in the interest of fairness, say that because I, I've i seen Kentucky play a lot on TV this season. That was the first time I've seen them in person, obviously. They were bad defensively, like bad. In that building, too, as much energy as Rupp gives you if you play for Kentucky – to just get the crowd just tried to drag them into that game defensively so many times, and it just didn't it just weren't having it. You know, when Tennessee got in trouble, Tennessee was missing some open shots at times, and I just I think that was Saturday was more about what Tennessee did than what Kentucky didn't do. But I think what Kentucky didn't do is a factor, uh, and so now what are you going to do against teams that? First off, you're going to have to bring your own energy in a couple of games against coming up a little bit. And teams are going to actually maybe try to play a little bit of defense. So we keep that going. And that's what I'm interested to see because there will be teams who play better defense than Kentucky despite having worse athletes than Kentucky because those teams actually will want to try to play defense. And so I want to see how Tennessee reacts to this because are they going to build momentum off of this? Or, or is this going to be a one-off? And that's what that, that, that's what they got to prove. We know how good Tennessee's fastball is. We know how good it is. But you know, what can you do now? Because you got to string it together. Absolutely, they, they do need to string it together and and not feel good about themselves just because they pressed all the right buttons for for one game in a big rivalry game. Uh, they they have a real chance to stack up some wins over these next six games. Uh, when when you play LSU at home on Wednesday night, you, you go to Texas A&M, which will be very difficult. That that will be a difficult trip. It, it would not be the end of the world if if Tennessee lost that game compared to losing to Arkansas or, or Missouri or, or Vanderbilt, which you also have coming up. That that would be a little bit different. Uh, and then you also have A&M at home. So I, I think there's a real chance for Tennessee to go six and zero over these next six games before those final four which is a brutal way to end the schedule in the regular season. And, and those final four will likely dictate whether Tennessee wins the SEC regular season championship or not and, and whether they can make a final push to get a number one seed in the NCAA tournament. Uh, but they, they have to go 5-1 and one at minimum, quite frankly, in these next six games. I would call that a success. Uh, if, if you can beat LSU, Missouri, Arkansas, Vanderbilt and then split with Texas A&M, a home and home with A&M. If, if you can at minimum split that to go five and one, I would consider that a, a big win because yes, Tennessee is better than A&M, uh, but that trip to college station is going to be really difficult uh, next, next Saturday. Wade Taylor, the fourth is playing well. Tyrese Radford, Tyrese boots. Radford is playing really, 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 really well. If I can speak. Uh, and then Buzz Williams, uh, he, he's injected some life into that basketball fan base in college station as well. And, a Saturday night game with a top five Tennessee basketball team coming to town. That's going to be a pretty raucous environment. So that's not going to be a cakewalk like I think going to Missouri or going to Arkansas will be uh, because those teams lack talent and Arkansas hates each other right now. Uh, but in order for them to to take advantage of the stretch coming up, they can't get complacent over one game. And I don't think that's going to happen. Uh, yes, Kentucky's defense is terrible. I don't know why John Calipari – continues to complain about the youth of his basketball team every single year and after every single game when he's the one in charge of the roster construction, you are the reason that your team is so young every single year, every offseason, you make the decision to have so many 
freshmen and youngsters on your roster. If you don't like it, fix it in the offseason, quite frankly. And uh, change change your recruiting methods. I know you're Kentucky and, and can get five stars, as many as you want. But if the, the amount of five stars you're bringing in is resulting in your team being very youthful and not being able to play well against these experienced, more physical teams, then maybe you don't need to bring in as many five stars, as crazy as that sounds. Maybe you need to adjust your recruiting tactics. And and now this year, John Calipari continues to, to say, oh, teams are just playing well against us and, and getting hot against us. Well, I wonder why that is. I wonder why teams are playing so well against you, Cal. It's probably because your team's not, not as good as you think that it is, and, and you just think that it's going to – click out of nowhere so yes Kentucky's defense is terrible but that team that Tennessee team had a different edge mm -hmm. to itself yep. uh, on, on Saturday night they they showed up and were ready to to take care of business and, and with all that stuff that I talked about with Zakai and, and Rick and needing a, a different sense of leadership that that is something that sticks I think going forward and it, it's it's really really going to be needed because I if there's not if if you find a way to win against South Carolina in that ugly game, because Tennessee had a chance there at the end, despite not playing well, mm -hmm. if you win, then it kind of continues to cover up what's wrong with the team because you won. But they had a reality check, and if that reality check does not happen, I don't know that Tennessee fends off every Kentucky run inside of Rupp Arena like it did on Saturday night, regardless of how bad Kentucky is defensively. And when I went back and watched the game last night, the, the second biggest thing that stood out to me on top of the change in leadership and change in demeanor that we already discussed uh, from the jump, from start to finish, that was classic Tennessee basketball under Rick Barnes of Tennessee winning nearly every single 50-50 ball. Tennessee wanted it more than Kentucky. They, they out-hustled Kentucky. They had more effort than Kentucky. Tobey Awaka leading the charge of not backing down from Kentucky. Tennessee was the bully, and, and I thought that that was a, a great thing to, to see. So, yes, Kentucky's defense played a role in Tennessee dropping 103, but kudos to Tennessee for taking advantage of that poor Kentucky defense because we've seen Tennessee teams go in there in the past that didn't have the leadership that it had on Saturday night, and, and it peed down its leg when Kentucky made its run. Uh, so I, I do think that that is something – that is something to stay and not be a one-off. I would be very surprised if it proves to be a one-off. And uh, quite frankly, and I don't think I'm a prisoner of the moment, Wes, but right now, after that performance, I feel as good about this Tennessee basketball team as i felt all year. No, I feel as good as i felt about this team all year, too. I, I think that that's a fair statement. I think you're right, though, in that 6-0 and in these next six games feels like it's maybe too much to ask for because just the the nature of this league this season is that you're going to get tripped up a couple of times and that game at college station in particular A&M teams under buzz have been so unbelievably good at uh, at playing the angles understanding the angles and knowing like they crash the glass and they draw fouls and Wade Taylor the fourth draws all kinds of fouls. And the way Tennessee plays physically and the way AM is coached to get some of those foul calls, they're going to get some of those foul calls. And that's going to be a game that I think could be frustrating in some ways for Tennessee. But if you were to say take five and one for the next six games and offer that, 
I think you would take that offer. That would be. Would that- you take it or risk it? I think I'd risk it. Mm. Because I don't think they're going worse than five and one. I don't think they're going worse than five and one, but I still would have a hard time just blanket accepting it uh, or, or, or taking the risk. I mean, blanket taking the risk because it's a weird league and weird things happen during the course right. of a season. And I think if Tennessee goes five and one in the next couple games, Alabama is playing well, but Alabama is not what it has been. It's just not. And not going to beat Auburn in Auburn on Wednesday night. No, and I think it's going to have a. I think it's going to have a hard time in some ways. I know this might sound crazy, but beating Kentucky and Rupp in a few weeks, I just think those Kentucky teams tend to get better later in the season, and it those teams do have a lot of talent. And I do think that Kentucky has more talent than than Auburn does. Obviously, I mean than Alabama does. I I think. Alabama's going to lose a couple more games, but I don't think it's going to lose a ton more games. And if you're Tennessee right now, if you're five and one and, and you're heading into that final four with three losses, you're in the fight. And so I, if, if you guarantee me a chance to be in the fight, four games to go, I'm taking that chance. I mean, I, I, think- I'm, I'm, I mean I'm, I'm taking that, I'm taking that bet because I, I know in that case, if you guarantee me, it's like being in like. If you're like in a, I'm not a big NASCAR guy, but like if you're in like a place like Talladega or Daytona and you guarantee me that I can get to the final couple laps in the main pack, I'm taking that bet because I want, if I'm in that spot, I can win. If I'm not, I can't. And so, yeah, I, I would probably take a five and one record right now and, and accept that because I, I think that guarantees me a chance at the table. I don't blame you at all. I would, I would roll the dice because I think, that Tennessee is going to have a seat at the table regardless, and mm-hmm. I think there's a greater chance of them going six and zero than them going four and two or worse. Yeah, probably. I mean, it, it's you know, I mean, co- it would be if if they they should not lose to LSU at home. I do think LSU is a really solid team. Yeah, it is. But you, you're playing in Knoxville. You should not lose that game, especially when you have an extra day off after Kentucky. It feels like you've really built a lot of momentum. You should you have no business losing that game to LSU, and then, again, Missouri and Arkansas, those are road games, and Arkansas, Bud Walton can be a, a tough place to play, but, I mean, Missouri and, and Arkansas need a miracle to happen to that team, those teams, before Tennessee comes to town. Missouri has zero talent, and, and that environment is not going to be good when Tennessee comes to town. Missouri's basketball environment, really any of their environments are not good unless your team is good. Yeah. And uh, that 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 should, quite frankly, be an easy win. Uh, and then Arkansas, the team stinks as is, and they hate each other. The players hate each other, and the players hate the coach, and the coach hates the players. So, yeah, Bud Walton's tough. I, I do hesitate a little bit when, when just kind of – scoffing at that game quite frankly because it's bud walton arena at the end of the day but i i think even with those two games being on the road it would be a real real shame if tennessee lost to missouri or arkansas away from knoxville it'd be a real shame if you lose the vandy at home as well Uh, so to me it boils down to those two texas a&m games you get you get them at your place you also have to go to their place and I, i just think with the way the schedule sets up, I, I think there's a greater chance of them going six and zero than four and two or worse. No, there probably is. There's just a couple things that my entire argument is just based on the fact that I know 
that if I can get to the final two weeks and, and I'm guaranteed a place at the table, I'd take it. Um, but uh, there is a better chance they would go 6-0 and than 4-2 than, than and two during that stretch, I, I, I would say. Um, but I think before we, we get out of here and, and go to a couple of you know different topics, some football stuff, some recruiting stuff in the second segment, I do want to mention uh, Tobe Awaka because – uh, our, our our good friend uh, uh, Reese from from Channel Eight got a really good clip. Got a couple of really good clips from that uh, that little uh, post play fracas there, where uh, the brouhaha when you had them going, you had a couple of Kentucky players going at Tobey Awaka. You had Tobey and some Tennessee players retaliating. I don't know that it really was fair to make it a two text on each team situation, but. What else are you going to get? Um, it Gandy just, didn't do a thing. N- no, but I Unless mean. Unless he said a magical word, which yeah, I don't think that he did. Yeah, and and so maybe they were just in the mindset of, you know what, let's it's in rub, things are getting hostile, let's just call two and two and move on, um, which, again, I, I don't agree with, but I don't think it's the worst thing I've ever seen. Uh, I, I do think that the look, the crazy eyes that Tobey Awaka got – if you haven't gone to uh, to Reese's Twitter account, definitely definitely go give that a, a look because he got the reverse angle shot where you could see Tobey Awaka's eyes. And, like, for a couple seconds, he had some of the – like, I mean, it was the kind of crazy eyes that it was like, oh, oh, okay, okay, this guy's about to just wreck somebody. And that, he played possessed for the next couple minutes. And, again, he got a dumb foul that he shouldn't have. But he got some 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 plays off the bounce. He made a play off the bounce. He he drew some fouls. He got some rebounds. If that is what ignites Tobey Awaka, great, because Tennessee needs that guy. Tennessee needs that guy. There are things as good as Jonas Adu has been at times this season, and and overall this season, Tobey Awaka can do some things Jonas Adu can't do just because of the physical differences in those two guys, the physical difference in strength. Tobey Awaka can get rebounds that they do can't. And so there will be times where they're going to need Tobey Awaka if they're going to be the best version of themselves they can be as a team. And if that kind of unlocks him a little bit and gets him going, gets his head in the right spot, great. Because Tennessee needs that guy. They 1,000% do. And uh, you, you heard Rod Clark I guess it was last Monday uh, before the South Carolina game. He was speaking to the media, and uh, I asked him about J.P. Estrella because J.P. had just provided them some nice minutes against Vanderbilt, if I remember correctly. Mm -hmm. And Rod was talking about how one thing that they want from J.P. is is a level of physicality and um, that that they've been looking for somebody to, to replace a little bit of the physicality that Roche left behind. Jonas has been phenomenal this season, and it's not a determent on Jonas when when this is said, but Jonas just is not a physical post player. That's not his game. That's not how he has success. Uh, And Tennessee has lacked a physical post presence with Roche moving on, and and they've been seeking, searching for some of that physical presence. And and I'll admit, I was surprised that uh, Rod said that they were looking – 
for that from JP because right now JP doesn't strike me as a physical presence per se mm-hmm. uh, because he's a true freshman and seems a little bit fish out of water at times just trying to adjust to this level. Uh, to me, the guy that replaces what Urosh left with him is Tobe Awaka. I mean, what Tobe did was vintage Urosh, except Tobe didn't instigate the, the moment. But now Correct. teams are going to know, hey, let, let's not poke that bull. And I, and I say bull because I was talking to a couple of different people with Tennessee's program after player interviews in, in Rupp while they were headed out. We did the player interviews in, in that tunnel that, that they were leaving through. And uh, one of the staff members, I, I was talking to him about Tobey, and he said, man, I, I thought we were going to need a tranquilizer to, to, to get Tobey to calm down. So uh, I, I don't know if it's poking the bear. I, I think it's poking the bull uh, because Tobey looked like one of those bulls. And what's the famous race that I'm blanking on? The running of the bulls. The running of the bulls. In Pamplona, Spain, yeah. Yes, I mean, Tobey looked like he was one of the Bulls that, that deserved to be in the running of the Bulls. So uh, teams are going to see that on tape. And, um, you know, the Tolu Smiths of the world and the South Carolinas of the world won't be intimidated. But scrawny freshmen who are still trying to find their way like Kentucky has, they'll be intimidated by that. And, and they can certainly um, – they, they certainly need that to, to pair with – Jonas and, and and kudos to Tobey. Not only did he not back down in that moment, he answered the bell following the moment. Back to back buckets afterwards, a, a thunderous dunk on, on a nice uh, little roll to the basket, yeah. and uh, then then came back down, caught it in the middle of the post, and, and quickly got into his post move. And uh, that that was a good sign because that's the one thing Rick Barnes has been on Tobey most about this season is when you get the ball, get into your post move. Too often, Tobey thinks about it too much because he's too smart for his own good on the basketball court. Yeah. He thinks too much on the floor, and Rick's been trying to get him to catch the ball, go into your move, and that's exactly what he did. That moment locked him in, and hopefully we look back on that for Tennessee's sake as a turning point for Tobey uh, because they don't need him to give them big-time production like Jonas, but they need him to contribute every single night and give Jonas some relief. So hopefully for Tennessee's sake, that was a – turning point uh and also a turning point i said it earlier we need to talk about josiah jordan james before we get out of here hopefully for josiah west that was also a turning point hopefully i mean i think it's i say this again and i'll say this quite a bit because i mean it you only criticize players who are worth your time criticizing you don't go after guys who can't do something you don't go after guys who you know, if you, you you know if you challenge guys who aren't physically or mentally able to respond to the challenge, that's what being a bully is. If you challenge someone who can't do anything about it, you're a bully. And I don't think the criticism leveled at Josiah Jordan James has been bullyish in nature. In some cases, I think it's just been, hey, uh, you absolutely can do this, and you're not doing this. And I think that is why, like, I I don't feel bad about saying some of the things I've said in the past because they were not bullish in nature. He's had the ability, not maybe, don't go out there. He's not going to average 26 points or 27 points in a game. He's not going to do that. He doesn't need to do that. But he needs to put the ball in the bucket. 
There is no reason in the world why he should not be a double-digit per-game scorer. Low double digits, at the, but, but he should be aggressive offensively when those opportunities are presented to him. And he needs, when he's in rhythm, take the shot. When he has one-on-one against a smaller guy, put the ball on the floor and go score over him. Those are things that this team, it's like you, you were talking about in practice when Santi, who's obviously he and Josiah Jordan James are like brothers at this point. And, and for him to say, hey, I need you to take that shot. I need you to take that shot. Like if you're not going to take that shot in some ways, what are you doing out there? And for all the connection things that he does, for the way that he ties the whole thing together on both ends, you still have to occasionally put the ball in the bucket. And he was aggressive. The team needed it. And he he provided it. He was fantastic. Game of his career, probably. Um, and you can't expect that all the time. But you can expect him to be a talented basketball player and physically with tools to score the ball. And it's good to see him do that. Yeah, Tennessee does not need 26 points no, from God, Josiah Jordan no. James every night. It, it I, I don't I honestly don't even know what the correct number is that that you need from from Josiah. 10 to 12. Uh, yeah, uh and I, I, that'd be nice, but I also don't know that Tennessee needs that every single night. If Dalton's being Dalton and Zakai's being Zakai and Jonas is being Jonas and Santi's playing like Santi has the last couple of games. I don't know that you need 10 to 12 from Josiah because uh, Josiah's role on this team is different than the past couple of teams. He He's no longer the second or third option. He's the fifth option at best. There may be, I think you could argue that maybe some games Ganey is the fifth option sure. as the scorer. Maybe Meshack. So uh, I, I think it's certainly close to 10 to 12, if not 10 to 12. I, I don't want to make it seem like I'm disagreeing with you. I just think that this team is is so loaded, and, and when it's clicking like it is, uh, I don't I don't really know what the number is. I, my my opinion is is what you just described and, and what I said earlier, what Santi was getting on to Josiah about in, in practice the other day. And, and look, Josiah's confidence was shaken, right? One of 18 to start SEC play from three. Uh, I believe I counted two of 24. From from three, uh, dating back to December sixteenth against NC State, it, it had it had been a real struggle for Josiah from the three point line. But even in the midst of him struggling, I'm telling you, he makes every single one in practice. It, it's baffling. He is a great shooter in practice, and uh, the shooter that he was against Kentucky, that's what he is in, in practice. Uh, and and so that's why you you hear Rick Barnes stick up for him so much and say at some point the shots are, are going to start to fall, uh, but he was because he was lacking confidence he was turning down shots yes. which is why Santi was on him about Joe and it was after Joe made one in the corner I think he said Joe every time I heard him on the other end of the floor and you don't hear Santi from the other end of the floor very often unless he truly has a point that he wants to make and he said Joe we need you to take that shot. Every single time, let it fly. His teammates know he's a good shooter. His coaches know he's a good shooter. And when you say good shooter, that doesn't mean that everybody thinks that he's Chris Lofton or Dalton Connect. You you can be a good shooter and not be as good of a shooter as Dalton Connect and Chris Lofton and and Allen Houston. And I think some fans who are, are that like to criticize Josiah as soon as they can, 
I think they they hear people give Josiah compliments and, and think we are propping him up to be in, in that category as a shooter, and that's not the case. You, you can still be a good shooter and just knock down the shots that come your way, and that's what this Tennessee team needs from him. That's what Santi was, was getting his point across to him. That's what you just described, and uh, you saw that. The, the ball swung Josiah's way, and he took the shots that he needs to take, and he's going to need to continue to take those shots because – whether he's the, the third option, the fifth option, the seventh option, Josiah has to contribute in order for this team to go win a championship. It's as simple as that, and uh, that that was a, a really, really good sign. We'll, we'll see if he can build off of it, uh, but just on, on a human level, I, I was very, very happy for Josiah uh, because I, I can't imagine having all that attention on you and puts in as much work as anybody and the results just not being there. That, that kind of messes with you. And uh, if you're a player and, and even coach Rod Clark talked about that when he met with the media last week about just the human nature comes out of you as a coach. When you see a guy putting in all the work and the results not coming to fruition, that that really messes with you on the human level, even as a coach. Uh, so I, I was I was thrilled for Josiah because he, he deserves to have that success. And uh, now he's the, the latest, along with Santi, to say that he had a winning record inside of Rep Arena, which. There's there's been several players now under Rick that can say that, but over the course of Tennessee basketball history, not a lot of guys can say that. No, not a lot can say that. And the last thing I'll say is that they these guys are not robots, they are human beings, but there are things about their games that that are robotic in a good way because they're trained to be robotic, because they're trained to be automatic, you know, reactions to certain actions. And when you have the ball either swung your way or kicked out to you from the post and you step into it and you're open, that three-pointer has to leave your hands. It has to leave your hands because that is the shot that you spend at least two hours every single day practicing, sometimes three to four hours practicing that every single day. You catch the ball when it swings your way, step into it in your pocket, put the three up, or the ball is kicked out to you from the post, you step into it, no dribbles, you hit the three. That is the shot. That's the shot you take all the time. And that's the shot. When James turns down that shot, you can start rolling your eyes because it's going to be one of those days. He has to take those shots. And it's not just him. Uh, other guys do it too. I've seen Vescovy do it shockingly a couple times. Um, those are shots that you got to take. Um, and you're being, you're, you think you're being unselfish. You're actually being selfish when you do that. You are hurting your team. You have got to take those shots. And even a couple times in Saturday, there were a couple times where James maybe turned down shots that were right there, but then he would realize it and then take a dribble and take the shot. And he would get to his spot again and take it. And it was a really good step in the right direction from a guy who uh, it's hard not to root for on a human level because he's just, he's an incredibly good human being and does so many things for that program in so many ways and is such a good representative. But we've talked a lot about this, and we should because it was a big win for Tennessee, but it's a big week coming up, so we'll have more to discuss about that. Uh, but we also have some football news that is long overdue uh, to get to, Ben. It was a big, big senior weekend, uh, big, big junior day weekend for Tennessee, lots of recruiting news updates. Also, uh, the Senior Bowl was played over the weekend for Joe Milton. That stuff is out there, too. So we got a lot that you and Ryan, I believe, did get to and are going to get to. Um, but you got anything else on hoops before we step away and go to a break? Yeah, my, my last thought uh, was 
probably my biggest thought, biggest takeaway from from Saturday night. I mentioned this in the full court press, and uh, I feel like it's worth mentioning again because Tennessee or Saturday night was such a massive win for Tennessee, and, and there were a lot of storylines, and, and this is one that I, I feel like isn't being talked about enough, maybe because it's just assumed, and, and maybe I'm just stating the obvious, uh, but Saturday night was just proof of, of how deep this Tennessee basketball team is and just how it's going to be somebody different every night in terms of having a, a career night. Uh, Dalton's going to have his game. Zakai's going to have his game. Santi's going to have his. Jonas, going down the list. Ganey's probably going to have a game at some point. Yes. Uh, to me, the, this basketball team is is truly strength in numbers, and those are the signs of great elite teams that can truly go go do some real damage when it matters most in March is, is when you have multiple, truly multiple players that can carry the team on any given night. And that's kind of been the issue for, for Tennessee. I feel like the last couple of years since the Grant and Admiral years that they, they lacked strength in numbers that you're, you're starting five to six were good, but you, you needed one or two guys to have a great night every single night you played. You had to have those X amount of players to, to be good every single game. Now this team is so deep and talented that you can get away with Dalton Connect, who's the front runner to win the SEC Player of the Year right now. You can get away with him having an off night. That, that's how deep this basketball team is, and, and that's that was just reinforced to me on Saturday. It's just how deep this basketball team is and, and just that it's going to be somebody different every time out. You, you need your main guys to be your main guys, but – each of those main guys can take the turns in stepping up and leading the way. I agree. I think the only slight caveat I have to that is that um, Ziegler has to be on. If not as a scorer, just as a game manager, as the spearhead of the defense, as the the instigator, as, as the, the spark plug. Zieg things are different when Ziegler is not like that. I think that was maybe – in South Carolina, you could tell like so many things begin and end with the way he plays, and it's hard to t it's easy to take for granted how well he plays most of the time because he does play that well. But he needs to be sorry to put the pressure on you, guy, but he can handle it. He's mentally and physically tough enough to handle it. He's got to be the guy, and by that I mean just the guy. When you connect's going to do his stuff, there's no question about that. Nine times out of ten, he's going to do his stuff. But Ziegler's got to be locked in, dialed in, and getting after it because they're going to follow that guy, and he sets the tone. So I agree, Ben. Good discussion. Lots of basketball stuff to discuss, and we had to discuss it, and we did um, because it was a big weekend for Tennessee. But it was also a big football weekend and lots of news coming up there, lots of news, notes, other good stuff. But we're going to take a quick break because we're overdue for one. Step away, pay for some bills, pay some bills, listen to products, services, in-house ads, etc., and then come right back here on the Go Vols 24-7 podcast. Hashtag ad. Welcome back into the Go Vols 24-7 podcast. I am Ben McKee, joined by Ryan Callahan on the back end of this podcast. Just got done wrapping up Tennessee's big basketball win over Kentucky on Saturday night with Wes. And basketball was not the only thing going on on campus. 
uh, in the midst of all the NCAA, NIL, state laws, all, all that fun stuff. Games are still being played. Tennessee basketball obviously played a big one on Saturday night. Have a big week coming up again. And uh, Tennessee football had a lot of games, if you want to call it that, or look at it that way. Had, had some games on campus with recruits. Uh, recruiting is a game <laughs> in a sense, and it was a busy weekend for Ryan Callahan in that regard. So I wanted to get him on here and uh, recap Junior Day, get his thoughts on how Junior Day went for Tennessee, and also talk about Joe Milton and his performance in the Senior Bowl on Saturday. But before we get into that, would like to encourage you to go like, rate, and review the podcast wherever you listen to us. And uh, if you don't mind sharing it with a friend that is a Tennessee fan that hasn't quite found us yet, uh, we would greatly appreciate that. Ryan, how are you, my friend? Doing well, yeah. Stay, staying busy, like you said, coming off the uh, coming off the junior day, and it, it's funny, you know, so much of the NCA stuff has sort of filled the uh, <laughs> filled the the, the landscape uh, of, of talking Tennessee sports uh, the, the past week or so. That uh, recruiting almost takes uh, you know gets shifted to the back burner a little bit. Uh, but there was a junior day, and Tennessee had some some pretty good players on campus and some guys who were already important targets. So it was definitely important for them to to make the most of it, especially after their first junior day of the year originally scheduled for January 20th uh, was, was called off because of the wintry weather had to make the most of this one before the nearly month long dead period for recruiting started Monday morning. Now give us a little background on what exactly a junior day is and what it entails. Yeah, it's, it's one of those things that uh, like, like, like a lot of things in recruiting, probably, uh, you know, not quite as fancy and formal as the name might make it sound. Uh, essentially just a day to, uh, to, to get, uh, as the name would imply, a lot of high school juniors on campus all at once. It's not entirely limited to juniors, though. Uh, usually, and, and in this case, th- this was certainly uh, what, what Tennessee did, have some sophomores and freshmen on campus as well. Uh, but it's sort of a way to turn the page to the next recruiting class. Uh, these used to happen you know, back when you only had one signing day. These used to happen in February and March. Uh, the calendar's a little different now, so uh, you sometimes have junior days in in uh, in, in December uh, at some schools, uh, but but they they're pretty much January, and then uh, after the 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 February dead period, you, you have them in March too. And it's just a way to kind of get some guys on campus uh, all at once, kind of set the stage for what you hope is going to be happening with some of those guys going forward and, and recruiting them in, in over the next several months. Some of these guys might be visiting for the first time. In other cases, it might be in-state players that you've already had on campus four or five times or even out-of-state guys who have visited multiple times. So it's different for everybody, but it really is kind of a just an introduction to Tennessee and sort of a general overview of the program. Um, it can be helpful even for guys who, who have visited four games in the past because they're mostly hanging out in the facility, in the Anderson Training Center. Um, they'll go around campus, see the stadium, get a general overview of, of sort of the campus and facilities. Um, but it is spending a, spending time mostly in the complex, which is something guys don't get to do, obviously, on most game day visits. So um, spoke with some guys who were who were in town for, for games this season uh, that even learned more about Tennessee in a setting like that on Saturday. So it's sort of just a, a basic get to know you visit a lot more time with coaches than you would get on a game day or uh, while attending a camp. Um, you, know, you get to kind of sit down and get to know them more as people. So uh, it, it is kind of a. Uh, an introduction to a school that in in many cases you're going to be looking at pretty seriously in the coming months and certainly Tennessee hoping that this lays the groundwork for them 
uh, with a lot of guys that were in town over the weekend. Yeah, and we will get to the actual juniors who were on campus in the class of 2025, Tennessee's next uh, recruiting class that that it'll be focused on now that uh, the 2024 class, uh, that wraps up what, Wednesday is National Signing Day, technically? Yeah, Wednesday is National Signing Day. There, there, there are some things happening for some teams across the country. There will be some players signing this week. Obviously, we're not you know expecting Tennessee to sign anyone as of right now. There were a couple possibilities out there, uh, you know, in, in the days after early signing day, but those have kind of gone by the wayside, and it looks like uh, looks like Tennessee will will be will be standing pat for now uh, with with the twenty twenty four class and and uh, or twenty yeah and, and and we'll see if anything else pops up in the coming months. We have seen that before. Uh, we're, you know, a, a late junior college edition uh, or something like that. It's always a possibility, but for the most part, it's kind of on, on to the 2025 class and, and, and on to the transfer portal this spring. You know, Tennessee's already done a lot of work there, but we'll see if anything else is added there uh, after spring practice as well. But yeah, it's kind of on to 2025. And after, uh, after landing George McIntyre a couple weeks ago, Tennessee you know, was was briefly up to six commitments now officially back to five commitments after um, and I guess that was the other piece of news on Saturday, although certainly not uh, earth shattering news. If you if you follow that on Go Vols 24 seven, but Shamar Arno, uh, the Tennessee cornerback commitment out of the Atlanta area, parted ways with the Vols uh, on, on Saturday night, something that had, had you know kind of been in the works or been you know pretty much done for a while now. But I uh, was just uh, you know waiting for that to, to officially be announced. So. Uh, but Tennessee's still at five commitments off to a good start, and certainly their um, their their efforts recently, including with with coaches on the road the past couple of weeks, which that just ended on Friday as well, leading up to the Junior Day. Um, that with that being wrapped up, those those recent visits that they made were pretty much almost entirely focused on the 2025 class and future classes. The only 2024 players we really saw them visit uh, lately were their own signees who won't be on campus until the spring. You still go see those guys like Jordan Ross. Carson Gentle, some of those players, Caleb Beasley and Edwin Spillman. Um, so you do spend some time visiting those guys, but otherwise it's it's on to 2025, and that was certainly the theme this weekend too. Absolutely, but I want to touch on somebody in the 2026 class because he plays the quarterback position, and he's ranked as a top 100 player currently by, the, by us at 247, uh, number 74 overall, the number six quarterback in the country, and the number six quarterback in the state of North Carolina, or I should say the number six overall player in the state of North Carolina. And he's from Hendon Hooker's neck of the woods. So I want to talk about Faison Brandon because I thought he had some interesting quotes. And look, he'll be a sophomore this year. There's a long ways to go in, in his recruitment in terms of Tennessee evaluating him and uh, Tennessee's quarterback board for the 2026 class coming into to shape. Uh, but I, I found his quotes fascinating, and I also found it fascinating that uh, Tennessee is already – uh, perusing the the 2026 quarterbacks after landing George McIntyre. Yeah, and and this and this shows you how I mean quarterback recruiting it really never stops. It'll be pretty quickly onto the 2027 class uh, with quarterbacks. Probably you'll you'll probably see some of that this summer uh, at, at Tennessee's camps. You know, maybe maybe some offers popping up in that class, if not sooner than that, um, because it it can start really early for quarterbacks. Um, and and obviously as we saw with George McIntyre, as we saw with. Uh, Jake Merklinger and, and Nico Iamaliava in the past couple of years, quarterbacks commit early. You usually want to get the, that position wrapped up uh, pretty early in the year, at least before the end of their junior year, uh, at the latest by the summer uh, when you get most of the class committed. So it, it, it really is one of those positions you, you can't get too far behind. So, yeah, Faison Brandon's kind of entering the 
the critical stages of his recruitment where he's already been on a number of visits and and Tennessee has hosted him probably more than any other school. I, I don't know the exact number of times he's been to everywhere else, but he's been to Tennessee five times since June. Um, and he's definitely a name to to watch. You know, I would I would say right now maybe the main name to watch at quarterback in the 2026 uh, class for the Vols. So if you're looking for an early candidate to maybe come in behind George McIntyre in that 2026 class, um, Tennessee would love for Faison Brandon to be that guy. There is another big name in state that they've obviously already offered months ago as well. Uh, and, that, and actually the same day, Tennessee had uh, Faison Brandon on campus for one of its camps back in June. Jared Curtis was there as well, the five-star out of Nashville Christian School. Um, the tricky thing about that one is, and I've, I've mentioned this before back around when George McIntyre committed, you know, Jared Curtis is currently the number one overall player in the 2026 class on 24-7 sports. He's going to get a lot of attention, already has. Um, and he, he's got some heavy hitters swinging for him. Tennessee is in his group of, of top choices, technically, and he's visited the Vols multiple times, but it seemed like they've had ground to make up in that one or that he's had some uh, some other teams higher on his, his board than Tennessee. And I think that's realistically going to be a tough pull for Tennessee because of George McIntyre, just those guys both being in the, in the Nashville area. They work with some of the same people uh, and off the field. They've They've got some... Uh, they, they've got enough familiarity with each other that I think just those two guys knowing each other, I'm not sure Jared Curtis is going to want to come in the, the class after George McIntyre. I think he might be looking for somewhere he can be kind of the guy in 2026 and maybe even ideally somewhere that, you know, they didn't get a five-star in the 2025 class. So, um, you know, Georgia, Ohio State, schools like that are, are heavy contenders for him. And Tennessee, not, you know, not right now thought to be the the team to beat. So, that that makes Faison Brandon look like a real possibility, and you know when you've had him on campus that many times, he went to three games at Tennessee this season. He's he he's trained with Hendon Hooker's dad, Alan Hooker, uh, in the past. He, uh, he he knows Hendon Hooker a little bit because of that. Obviously, Tennessee I think sees some of the same things in him that they saw in Hendon Hooker. And as a first time starter this year at uh, at Grimsley High School in Greensboro, North Carolina, he threw thirty six touchdown passes and three interceptions, uh, and, and had some pretty pretty impressive numbers overall. 69% completions, ran for more than 500 yards, threw a really nice ball at Tennessee's camp back in, in June. I uh, think that, you know, they were really impressed with his arm. So not definitely not just, uh, you know, a dual threat guy that's developing as a passer. This is a, a good passer who happens to be a really good athlete and put up some pretty sharp numbers uh, across the board this, this past season as a first-time starter. So a lot to like about him. He's definitely in the top 100 for a reason. And if you're, yeah, wanting to kind of keep an eye on quarterbacks for the 2026 class who will be kind of shifting into focus a little more in the coming months um, that's certainly one to watch where Tennessee has a has a, you know, got off to a good start and, and maybe a head start on some other teams Alabama just offered this week with that new staff up to 15 offers but yeah Tennessee off to a very good start there and I would say maybe the the, the early favorite in that one although there's obviously still a long way to go now in terms of actual juniors who are on campus this past weekend uh, who who were the main ones, the the big names that the Tennessee fans need to know? And and I, I guess starting off, what was your biggest takeaway from the weekend for Tennessee? Yeah, I, I think a good weekend for Tennessee with the few key in-state targets. I think you always uh, you know kind of start there a lot of times with junior days if it's a if it's one where a lot of in-state players can make it. Some could make it, some couldn't because you do have seven-on-seven seven conflicts this time of year. Uh, the seven-on-seven seven schedule seems to to get pushed up earlier and earlier uh, each year where 
you're, you're having tournaments in late January and early, early February. So there were some guys that weren't, weren't able to make it in for, for different things from, from across the country. But, uh, and then even basketball schedules, George McIntyre, for instance, couldn't make it in because of a makeup game, uh, where his team had, had, had one postponed by that, all that wintry weather, uh, a couple weeks earlier. So, uh, different conflicts kept some guys from making it, but they got Cameron Sparks back on campus, the four-star athlete from from Baylor School down in Chattanooga. Ethan Utley, the four-star defensive lineman from Ensworth in Nashville, was back in town. Uh, Joe Kim Dotson, a wide receiver from Collierville over in the, the Memphis area. I think Tennessee's been in, in, in pretty good shape with him for a while, and this weekend I think only only really added to that. So uh, big for the Vols to get get a few of those guys back on, on campus. You know, Certainly Dotson. And Sparks in particular, I think it was a really good weekend for Tennessee with those guys. Um, we'll, we'll see how that kind of plays out going forward. But certainly, uh, I think those would be two of the candidates for, for guys that Tennessee could, could, could maybe push to, to get in the class before the summer. I think, I think Ethan Utley is still a guy that's probably you know, more likely to, to wait until the summer to do anything. But uh, if you're looking for, for a couple other candidates for, for Tennessee to maybe, uh, to maybe try to get in, uh, into its class in the coming months and give George McIntyre some help offensively. Uh, certainly Joe Kim Dodson and Cameron Sparks would be two of those guys who look, who look like realistic options for Tennessee. Um, and I think Tennessee, you know, is probably the favorite for, for each of those guys as of right now. So big weekend for them with those guys. And then some highly ranked players at other positions from out of state too, especially on the offensive line. I thought a really good offensive line group um, led by some guys that came from states that we don't see Tennessee recruit a whole lot. Uh, Andrew Babalola from, from Kansas. Uh, a top 50 prospect nationally coming in for his first visit to Tennessee. Um, sounds like it went, went really well and, and you will see, see how much of a factor Tennessee is moving forward, but certainly gave the impression that, that he will make it back to Tennessee at some point, maybe for a, for a spring practice or something like that. Um, J. Allen Matthews, a, a four-star offensive lineman from New Jersey. He's a guy that if you follow a lot of recruits on social media, you might've seen that after George McIntyre committed that day, um, he, he sort of tweeted at George McIntyre and said, you need linemen. Um, and and that re- that's not really a name that had popped up in, in connection with Tennessee a whole lot before that point, although he is a longtime Tennessee target. Uh, but kind of since then, I think the, the connection to George McIntyre, to the extent that they have one, you know, they're not like close personal friends or anything like that. But he was obviously familiar enough with, with uh, McIntyre to reach out to him. And, uh, and yeah, they've, they built a bit of a connection. He said, talked at the airport, uh, at the Philadelphia airport when he was flying down to Knoxville before Saturday's visit. And it sounded like the visit went really well. So some highly ranked guys like that on the offensive line. And even the 2026 class, Leo Delaney, a four-star uh, tackle, most likely currently rated as an uh, interior offensive lineman on 24-7 sports. So maybe could play either, but um, pretty, pretty tall, long guy, uh, six, five and a half, 283 pounds pretty long arms looks like a guy that maybe could play tackle in, in college as well but um, but a guy that's on the same offensive line with David Sanders a five-star in the 2025 class that Tennessee is heavily involved with the number two player in the country right now uh, in, in the 24-7 sports rankings Th- those guys being teammates you know I think Tennessee's gonna be after them both pretty hard uh, over there in Charlotte North Carolina so that's another one in the 2026 class to watch so those three offensive linemen certainly among the the headliners from outside the state who were in town uh, and, and then some uh, some other other noteworthy targets, I think, that are de- certainly worth watching in the coming months. Charles House, a defensive lineman from North Carolina that's now uh, been on, on Tennessee's campus a couple times since the fall. Uh, good for Tennessee to get him there. Uh, they, they handed out some new offers, uh, as you all almost always see at these junior days. Julius Holly, uh, an edge rusher from North Carolina. Uh, and then also um, 
Uh, Tennessee offering an in-state player as well, Chris Thompson, the linebacker from Lipscomb Academy in Nashville, who's who's uh, gotten a good number of offers with Florida and some other major programs being among them. So Tennessee joining the race for him. So pr- pretty active junior day as it almost always is. But yeah, there was a I thought uh, an especially important weekend for Tennessee with some of those in-state targets in town, and then to to have some highly ranked offensive linemen like that on campus as well. When you look at the overall state of Tennessee football recruiting coming out of essentially signing day for the 2024 class uh, as they gear up for that spring portal session, if you want to call it that, coming out of spring practice uh, and turning their their attention to the 2025 class. What are when when you think of Tennessee football recruiting right now, what what is the one or two things that, that you are most paying attention to at the moment? Yeah, well, obviously, it's a lot of lot of a lot of needs to address and a lot to be you know determined about this uh, this twenty twenty five class going forward since since it is so early five commitments you know a couple in the uh, in, in the secondary but you know not not really any one position that's otherwise been hit that heavily so far um, so so it's you know you've got some needs taken care of quarterback tight end things like that but still a lot to get done um, but you know it's th- this time of year I think you always kind of start with what's How's the in-state class shaping up? And in this case, since you've got a five-star quarterback in George McIntyre headlining your in-state class, you know who can he bring with him, uh, or who can he uh, help Tennessee continue to push forward in the coming months? And so, you know, we'll uh, certainly keeping a close eye on guys like Rodarius Jackson, uh, the the wide receiver from Memphis, who I think has become a, a really big priority for the Vols uh, since getting an offer from them back in October. You know, Cameron Sparks mentioned him, Ethan Utley. Some of those players in state, you know, how, how how many of those guys can they can they get? Uh, what what kind of movement can, movement can they make uh, with them over the next few months? And then also uh, just just sort of how they how things start to shape up with the uh, with some of the highly ranked guys that Tennessee's already in the mix for. Uh, you know, they're, they're in just like they were a year ago. When we saw some guys that they looked like at this time last year, they had a real shot at. You know, there were the guys like Williams, Winery. Uh, made it in town for a for a junior day last year. Kamarion Franklin. Some of those guys didn't work out for Tennessee and looked like pretty good possibilities at this time a year ago. Others like Mike Matthews obviously ended up signing with Tennessee. So keeping a close eye on the you know the Caleb Cunningham types, the five star wide receiver from Mississippi. Um, some of those guys, uh, David Sanders that I mentioned earlier, five star offensive tackle from from North Carolina. Uh, to see see kind of how Tennessee continues to 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 trend with those guys if they can you know remain one of the top contenders for for each of them and 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 who they're going to get back on campus and and especially going into march uh because you know i just mentioned we're now in a dead period for the next four weeks or so where tennessee and, and other teams won't be able to host any visitors until early march they'll 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 have another junior day in early march before spring practice and then uh that that will kind of set the stage for um uh for spring practice visits and and that's that's where you'll see a lot of players get on campus uh, for the first time this year, you you got to make the most of those. You need to need to have some some good turnouts for some of those weekend practices, especially. Uh, so we'll obviously be w- watching closely to see who all Tennessee can get back to Knoxville or or get on campus for the first time uh, for those spring practices in March and April. So that that will be important. So lot, lots to keep track of, obviously this this time of year, and a lot of just a lot of names out there. So uh, I know it's uh, it, it's sort of a uh, a, a broad scale to 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 watch things if you're uh not if you're a casual recruiting fan you hear names and they just kind of go in one ear out the other probably this time of year because there are so many so you things haven't been narrowed down yet most guys aren't close to decisions but 
it is an important time of year to kind of see which which players end up being realistic possibilities and which ones don't because in most cases you don't get guys on campus by the spring you're a little bit behind uh doesn't mean you can't recover we saw them recover last year with guys like bennett warren and some others that didn't visit until the summer but most times you, you need to get them there by the spring. So uh, especially with losing a junior day in January, Tennessee certainly needs to mo- make the most of those spring practices. And that's that's something we'll be watching closely, obviously, over the next several weeks. Absolutely. And, and Ryan has had terrific recruiting coverage uh, up at the site on GoVols247.com over the course of the weekend. Encourage you to go back and and read through uh, the, the different interviews and, and many articles that Ryan posted uh, this weekend, uh, again, a lot of great recruiting coverage from Tennessee's junior day over the weekend. And, Ryan, right now is a perfect time for Tennessee fans to take advantage of uh, viewing GoVols247.com. Yeah, well, one of our biggest sales of the year. We don't we do not do this a whole lot uh, outside of uh, you know maybe one or two predetermined times of the year, but we've got a one-day flash sale going on today. Uh, we'll end at midnight Eastern time. 75% off an annual subscription to, to go balls 24 seven. So awesome time to join the site. Obviously, if you you know want to track the NCAA case and everything going on with, uh, with that recruiting over the, uh, in the coming months uh, and obviously over the next several weeks, basketball, spring practice coming up, all that stuff. You can get all that coverage and much, much more at a, at a great price for that deal. So sign up now, 75% off today only at go balls, 24, com and get all that coverage. And, much, much more uh, on the on the checkerboard and everything else that comes with that. And hopefully you're listening to this podcast before Tuesday morning. Uh, before we get <laughs> out of here, uh, Ryan did want to just mention in passing Joe Milton and his performance at, at the Senior Bowl on Saturday. Uh, nine of 13 he was for 80 yards, and he did unfortunately throw a pair of interceptions. Uh, Patrick Brown, if you missed the Senior Bowl, uh, Ryan was covering junior day. I was off to Lexington for basketball, so did not get to watch in depth, but did see uh, the highlights. Obviously, Patrick Brown has a great uh, essentially play by play and uh, detailed report on on how Joe performed uh, in the senior bowl. He has that up on the site, but it, it seems like it was a, a very mixed bag. Uh, Ryan, obviously, two interceptions on the surface. Uh, th- does it sound great, but I- I'll be curious to see how. The NFL assesses them, I guess, on his first interception. Uh, he was extending the play outside of the pocket and, and threw on the run uh, as he was crossing the line of scrimmage at the 30. Uh, Missouri running back Cody Schrader was streaking wide open over the middle of the field towards the end zone, but Milton's throw across his body hung up in the air long enough for Oregon safety Evan Williams to cover a lot of ground. And uh, Evan Williams made a nice play on the football, falling to the ground to generate uh, the interception. So that was early in the game when Milton first got in in the second quarter, and then he got back in uh, in in the fourth quarter. And um, his second interception, again, we don't really know whose fault this is, um, but the intended receiver, according to Patrick, uh, broke off his route short when Milton took a deep shot and the defender made the play on the football. So a mis- miscommunication uh, with he and his receiver. It is a weird week. You know, guys, it, it is hard to have chemistry right off the bat. Uh, but I, I do, Ryan, I would say that quarterbacks are, are judged differently, even in terms of those short weeks and all-star games. I would say that they're still expected to be able to to handle the X's and O's and, and the assignments and, and making sure all that is run smoothly, even if it is a, a little bit chaotic. 
Uh, so don't know if it was the receiver that messed up. Don't know if it was Joe that messed up. Uh, but my my reaction was that two interceptions isn't necessarily the greatest development uh, for Joe because Joe already has questions about his ability to consistently be an efficient passer. And the one thing that he was able to kind of hang his hat on uh, this past season was extending plays with his legs at times, which he did show well in the senior bowl, the ability to do that. But also he he did a great job of taking care of the football. So I don't know if it's a, a great sign for him. Again, I don't know how NFL teams are going to evaluate those two particular interceptions. I imagine they won't like him throwing back across his body over the middle of the field, uh, but then don't know if it was his fault or the receiver's fault on the second interception. But I don't know that it's a great thing for Joe that one of the one of the few things I would say, maybe that's a little harsh, but I would say one of the few things that Joe has going for him was his ability to protect the football, take care of the football, and whether it's his fault or not, didn't necessarily reflect that in the senior bowl. Yeah, that's you know the the the, the second interception. I don't think you fault him quite as much for that. Uh, and, and like you said, he didn't have a reputation for turning the ball over a lot uh, at Tennessee or or at Michigan. Really, he didn't uh, ever have that problem. So he's he's shown that he can he can take better care of the ball than what he did in this particular game, but. I, we also know that he has uh, that, that he kind of drew the ire of Tennessee fans at times for making some head scratching decisions in big situations. Uh, obviously, the Ole Miss game back in 2021 comes to mind, running out of bounds on what was the final play of the game, where you just had to throw it to the end zone. Uh, th- things like that. And I thought the, you know, you want if you're Joe Milton in that situation, you want to show off your physical tools because you obviously have a lot to sell there. And 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 that's this is where Joe's big arm can get him in some trouble. I thought that throw in the second quarter, throwing back across his body, that that's the kind of play where the tantalizing skill set kind of gets him in trouble sometimes. Um, that's just a throw you can't make, and and especially in a setting like that, you know, you're playing with guys you haven't been playing with for very long. You're you're, you're playing in a, a sort of makeshift offense. You know, you're you're learning a new system. Uh, everyone is pretty much for the week. So that's you don't want to force things. That's the one thing you can't do in that situation. I mean, in a play like that, throw the ball away. You know, just don't make a mistake when it, when things break down. If you don't find someone just open, you know, live to play the next play. Uh, you know, set up a field goal, whatever. You just even if you don't make something happen, that's okay. Just don't make the catastrophic play that changes how people might view you. And I think coming out of the weekend, we saw. You know, I don't know if that that performance hurts him so much, but it didn't. I don't think it helped him. Uh, and, and during the week of practice, you know, he, he had some better moments, it sounds like. But uh, but still enough questions there that I think coming out of the weekend, some people have kind of a, a late round grade on him. And, and we'll see how much that changes, uh, you know, with the combine and everything else coming up. But not not ideal for him to have a, 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 a kind of a head scratching turnover like that, where you're throwing back across your body in a, in, in, in a key situation where a drive that probably should have ended in points didn't because of that play. Um, that's the kind of thing that makes NFL teams look at you and say, is the decision-making really what we need at the quarterback position? Absolutely. I thought you summed it up perfectly when you said that. Don't know if the performance hurt him per se, but also don't know that it moved the needle or necessarily helped him uh, move the needle in a positive manner, that is. Well, and well, and, I, and to defend him, I will say 9 of 13, 80 yards. So the rest of the performance, like it, it – I, it feels like that was a little bit like his entire Tennessee career, you know, not the, not that he threw two interceptions very often. He certainly didn't, 
again, he took pretty good care of the ball, but the rest of his throws, aside from those two picks, you see the efficiency that's there. You see that he's certainly capable of making the right decision. So it's a it, that felt like a kind of a, a just a a good way to sum up Joe Milton's college career, where you see the efficiency can be there. You see that he's got his moments where you're like, hey, this works, and then still, it, just the one or two head scratching plays where you say, okay, maybe it's not so perfect. So you know, again, don't know that's going to hurt him uh, all that much, but it, it it was certainly not ideal for him to throw a pick like that. You know, across his body on you know just a throw that he shouldn't have made. Yep, absolutely. I I completely agree with you. And uh, also, one thing that we're not really privy to is is how Joe handled the meetings, and you know, interacting with with NFL coaches, coordinators, GM, so on and and so forth. Uh, Joe has a a pretty lively personality, so I imagine he he didn't hurt himself in in that regard. But uh, hopefully, Joe, for his sake, w- was able to take uh, advantage of that. And the next step for him, he entered the senior bowl number nine in the quarterback draft class. According to Mel Kiper, we'll, we'll see where Mel slots him after uh, the senior bowl. I, I imagine if he hasn't already, Mel will have a, a re-ranked quarterback draft class in the coming days coming out of the senior bowl. But the next step for Joe is uh, the NFL scouting combine, uh, which is in Indianapolis at the start of March. And then Tennessee's pro day, uh, which that pro day uh, the the date for the pro day, Tennessee's pro day in Knoxville has not yet been determined. And then the 2024 NFL draft is April 25th through the 27th in Detroit. So uh, very, very critical couple of months coming up for Joe and the rest of Tennessee's draft hopefuls. So uh, Ryan, greatly appreciate your time. Busy time of the year, a lot going on with Tennessee athletics. And of course, that means there's a lot going on at Goval's 247.com Wes, myself and will heflin will be back on wednesday uh, to record another diamond vols podcast previewing tennessee's pitching staff as of this monday we are now 11 days away from first pitch so we'll have that baseball preview for you another baseball preview for you on wednesday and then on thursday the morning after tennessee and lsu play inside of thompson bowen arena Wes and i will be back with a reaction basketball podcast as well. And then we'll obviously sprinkle some football in there uh, in addition because we all know what what the breadwinner is around here. So, Ryan, greatly appreciate your time, my friend. Absolutely. Thanks a lot, Ben. And just to add to that, uh, we'll have some National Signing Day coverage as well. I've got some, got some stuff on the way that we'll have on the site uh, on Wednesday, especially looking at Tennessee's 2024 signing class. So even though Tennessee not expected to add to it, we will be looking at this class a little bit more in depth as we uh, as we celebrate National Sign Day and uh, at least watch some other teams sign some additional players on Wednesday. Love it. Love it. Ryan Callahan bringing great Tennessee football recruiting. Even when Tennessee's not necessarily involved, he's still going to generate some Tennessee football recruiting content, and that's <laughs> why Ryan is so good at what he does. And Ryan, greatly appreciate his time. So for Ryan Callahan, I'm Ben McKee, and even for Wes Rucker, in our basketball podcast and first half basketball discussion on the first half of the podcast. We greatly appreciate everybody tuning in and we will talk to you all later this week. This has been another edition of the Go Balls 24-7 podcast. There's that button. And now I can say thank you for listening to this edition of the Go Balls 24-7 podcast. We always say that, but we always mean it. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening. You can find all of us on social media. I'm Wes Rucker 24-7 on Twitter. Ben McKee is Ben McKee 14 on Twitter. Ryan Callahan is Ryan Callahan 24-7 on Twitter. And Patrick Brown is P. Brown 24-7 
on Twitter. And if you just want Tennessee news on Twitter, nothing else, you can get that at twitter.com slash govals247. You can also go to facebook.com slash govals247, uh, where we update that throughout the day, all day, every day, mostly with Tennessee news, uh, but also with news that we think Falls fans will find interesting. Uh, but if you want that best, most delicious East Tennessee Smoky Mountain spring water directly from the source, go get that at GoVols247.com, the best site on all of Al Gore's internets for coverage of Tennessee football, football recruiting, basketball, basketball recruiting, Tennessee baseball. Nobody, and I mean nobody, covers Tennessee baseball the way that we do. Also, no one covers the Lady Vols that we do. The award-winning Maria Cornelius does an excellent job covering all things Lady Vols for us all season long. You can get all of that at GoVols247.com. You've also got access there to two forums that run around the clock, got the checkerboard and the summit, where you can go 24 hours a day, seven days a week, and discuss anything you want that is not political or religious in nature with us, with thousands of Tennessee fans across the world, and with us who are on the staff. Uh, and, and no one has a more uh, active board with the, the staff members than us. We are proud to be there all the time answering any question that you've got, and you get all of that for less than the price of one mediocre lunch per month. That is all that it costs, and that's after a quick free trial. And once you pay us that reasonable rate, which is, again, less than one mediocre lunch per month, you get access in perpetuity to Paramount Plus, uh, which is an excellent, growing behemoth of a streaming arm there with us here at CBS, Paramount, Viacom, etc. You get every show CBS has ever made commercial-free. You get new movies. You get classic movies that rotate in every single month. Uh, you also get just tons of original content, tons of great original Paramount Plus content. And you also uh, get access to the vaults of uh, Nickelodeon, uh, Smithsonian, uh, MTV, BET, Comedy Central, something for the entire family. All of that, all of that for less than the price of one mediocre lunch per month. That That is so much stuff. So much stuff. That's a bunch of stuff. Less than one lunch a month. That's all that it costs. So go to GoVols247.com and do that. Take advantage of that. Tell your friends to go do that. Again, thank you for listening. You can always go subscribe to us on every content uh, item, everywhere you can get a podcast. You can get this podcast. So please go do that. Thank you for listening again. And uh, be kind to each other, guys. Just try to be kind to each other. There's just not nearly enough people in this world being kind to each other and having basic human empathy and dignity. Let's be better to each other. Let's be good. See you guys.